Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, which is part of the Edge Sports family. The first round of the fantasy playoffs are in the books, and it's now the Tuesday entering the week 15 of games. I'm going to go team by team to give you my favorite waiver wire pickups for both shallow and deep formats. If you're interested in recommended fab bids, check out my article on footballoutsiders.com. But for now, let's jump back to last Thursday's game between the Cowboys and Bears. So Mitchell Trubisky had another nice day here, completing 23 of 31 passes for 244 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. He now has four three-touchdown games for the season. Last week, I expressed my concerns that Trubisky had only had those nice performances against favorable defensive opponents. Earlier in the year, that included the Redskins, who increased passing touchdowns by 21% per attempt. And then that's included the Lions twice, increasing pass plays by 8% and passing touchdowns by 24% compared to average teams. But this one was was done against the Cowboys, who actually decreased passing touchdowns a bit by 9% per attempt. So I'm starting to think that maybe Trubisky is coming out of his early season funk. Prior to Week 12, he had a negative 15.6% DVOA, and he's up to 5.7% since Week 12. Still not lighting the world on fire, but maybe he's a little bit salvageable here. Maybe his career won't really be ending at the end of the season. Interesting to see. I think from a fantasy perspective, the major point here is that he's enabling some of his receivers to produce in fantasy, which is probably more important than his own fantasy value at this point in the season. The primary guy to that respect here is Anthony Miller, who had another three catches for 42 yards and a touchdown on four targets. And while that specific volume of targets there isn't great, He's actually seen a 30.6% wide receiver and tight end target share since week 11, which is 15th highest at the position over that stretch. With Trubisky playing better, I think you can definitely pick up Miller if you haven't already, even in shallow formats. He's a flex consideration for me over the rest of the fantasy playoffs. And then probably not something with fantasy impact, but a couple other bear notes here. Rookie Riley Ridley got into this game, caught one pass or five yards, and played 40% of the offensive snaps. Javon Wims only played 45%, so I would say that Ridley probably sabotaged any value Wims had, but you probably aren't starting him at this point anyway. But good to see the rookie getting a little bit involved here. And then at tight end, where the Bears have suffered a lot of injuries at this point, they've relied on J.P. Holtz and Jesper Horstead this week. Uh, the former played 52% of the offensive snaps, while the latter played 47%. Uh, they combined for nearly 100 yards, but with that, that sort of snap share splitting that they're doing, I don't think either one of them has any value, even in deeper formats. Next up, we have the Bengals at Browns. Joe Mixon, nice day here with 23 carries for 146 yards and a touchdown. And I've noticed he's really improved over the second half of the season. For the first seven games this year, he averaged 12 carries, 36 yards, and no touchdowns per game, only 8.9 fantasy points total per game. But over the last six games, that has boosted up to 20.3, 89.2, and half a touchdown per game, or 17.4 fantasy points per game. So more than twice as productive there. At this point, I think Mixon is back to being a safe running back, too. The splits don't completely coincide with Andy Dalton being on the field and not on the field, but it seems like the Bengals' offense is having a little bit more success of late, so I think Mixon is probably someone you can rely on in your fantasy playoffs. I'm not sure I'm totally there with John Ross in shallow formats, but he did return from injured reserve on Sunday, caught two balls for 28 yards on four targets. He played 51% of the offensive snaps, I think a relatively low total, probably because of him getting back into, into game speed. Going forward, that number is probably going to increase, though, because Alden Tate sprained his MCL in this game, and given the the lack of time remaining in the rest of the season, I'm guessing that's going to be a season-ender for him. And so that really leaves Ross and Alex Erickson to work on the outside. Erickson led the two of them with seven targets this week, but Ross has just been a much better player so far this season, 3.3% receiving DVOA versus negative 17.3% for Erickson. So I think as soon as Ross is feeling comfortable and healthy and in game shape, 
he's going to be back to being the number one outside option for the team. The question is really whether you're going to have time to, to sort of feel confident in starting him at this point in the fantasy playoffs. But uh, in your deeper leagues, at least, I think you should probably pick Ross up. He's a guy that could be the number one guy for your championship round. And then sadly for the Bengals here with A.J. Green, still day-to-day, still no updates there. We're kind of running out of a point in the season where his return could actually help teams anyway. So I think you can probably go ahead and drop him in your shallow formats if you haven't already. Hopefully his 2020 season will go better for you and go better for his fantasy owners. Uh, For the Browns, Kareem Hunt, nine carries for 28 yards and a touchdown, two catches for 40 yards on three targets. Kind of a typical workload that he's seen since he returned to the team in Week 10. But I will note that he has two rushing touchdowns over the last three weeks, and I was kind of wondering just by those numbers whether he was encroaching on what I think of as being Nick Chubb's territory as being the goal line back, but that clearly isn't the case. Hunt has just one carry within five yards of the end zone since Week 10, while Chubb has eight. So I think Chubb clear, still clearly the goal line option here. Hunt's touchdowns have just come from a little bit more distance from the end zone. And then at tight end, David Njoku also made his return from injured reserve here, had one catch of four yards on three targets, and played 38% of the offensive snaps. So not a huge, huge number there, but Demetrius Harris missed the game with a shoulder injury and could miss more time. If Harris misses next week, in your deeper formats, I think you really could take a flyer on Njoku. I know that that isn't a huge snap share, but they're drawing that Cardinals defense and their number 32 DVOA defense against tight ends. <clears throat> so it's a very appealing matchup. And if Njoku can bump that that snap share up to even 50% with a matchup, I think he could be a top 10 option at the position. I would follow the news to see how Harris is doing, see if Njoku's feeling good entering the weekend. But maybe in DFS tournament plays more so than in your deeper fantasy playoff leagues. But Njoku could be a pretty good option for you there if you're willing to take the risk. Next up, we have the Ravens at Bills. Not a ton of news here. I think both of these teams, we have a pretty good idea of which of their players are fantasy relevant, and that's been the case for a while. But the one thing to keep an eye on here is Mark Andrews left Sunday's game with a knee injury that, while it doesn't sound too serious and probably won't knock him out for an extended period of time, with the Ravens playing this Thursday against the Jets, if Andrews can't play, Hayden Hurst could suddenly become a potential fantasy fill-in for you. He had three catches for 73 yards and a touchdown on three targets in relief of Andrews on Sunday. And Hurst actually has a 27.3% receiving DVOA this season. I think it's possible that he's kind of a hidden gem that just because of the the number of weapons and particularly the number of capable tight ends the Ravens have, Hurst has been a little bit buried on that offense. But I think if Andrews misses time here, you could do worse than stream Hurst for a week and maybe get something out of him in fantasy in your deeper formats. Next up, we have the Redskins at Packers. Unfortunately here for fantasy, Darius Geis uh, sprained his ACL and is likely going to miss the rest of the season. That's better than some of his previous injuries, including a torn ACL and MCL, but it's tough to see guys continue to suffer through these knee injuries. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, obviously you can drop guys in your in your redraft leagues. And I think Adrian Peterson will just kind of go back to being what he was prior to guys coming back a few weeks ago, which is kind of a flex option in your shallower formats, more valuable in standard leagues than PPR. He had 20 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown and no targets. Uh, in week 14. That's kind of the line you can probably expect for him going forward. Although I will say that in week 15, he draws an Eagles defense that's number eight in DVOA run defense. So probably not an excellent chance to use Peterson there. Maybe more of a back-end flex option or a running back four for you uh, for this one week. And then Steven Sims, uh, playing for Trey Quinn, who suffered a concussion, had four catches for 40 yards on seven targets and played 71% of the offensive snaps. Looks to me like Sims is just a pretty um, clear plug-and-play guy replacing Quinn, probably no less valuable in fantasy than Quinn is when he's on the field. No update right now whether or not Quinn's going to be back for Week 15, although I think most 
players at this point miss just one week when they suffer a, one concussion uh, in a season. So we'll see on that. Next up, we have the Lions at Vikings. Matthew Stafford, also a guy without any injury updates at this point. I think at this point, I think it's fair to consider that he's likely going to miss the rest of the season. So in your redraft leagues, you can go ahead and stop him. At running back, we have a little bit more consistency here with Bo Scarborough. Another 19 carries for 65 yards. He didn't score here, but he did catch a pass for five yards and had three targets. He actually had just one target in his first three games, and so seems to be getting worked a little bit more into the mix here, maybe getting a little bit bigger piece of the pie, which is, especially in your PPR leagues, could be critical. At this point, I think he's probably a little bit more value than Adrian Peterson, even with Geis out. And then at tight end, uh, Logan Thomas had two catches for 21 yards on four targets, while Jesse James had one for 23 on two targets. And rookie Isaac Nauta got into this game as well with one for, for three on one target. Thomas played the most here with uh, 56% of the offensive snaps, but James was right behind at 54%. And given how much of a split this has remained, uh, even without TJ Hawkinson on the field, I don't think any of these guys has any value in fantasy formats. And then for the Vikings, I think the major news here is Adam Thielen is actually expected to play in Week 15, according to Ian Rappaport. So coming as a little bit of a surprise to me, I thought he might miss the rest of the regular season. But if you get him back in Week 15, you can probably consider using him, although I'll feel a little bit better if I can watch him for a game, if you have some other depth pieces to play instead. Next up, 49ers at Saints. Uh, Not as I expected, this game was a huge shootout that provided a lot of fantasy points to a lot of players. Probably the most notable from a fantasy perspective going forward is Raheem Mostert. 10 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown and two catches for 40 yards and a touchdown on two targets. So that 12 total touches isn't a huge volume necessarily, but he played a lot more than both Matt Breda and Tevin Coleman. He played 60% of the offensive snaps, Breda played 18% in his first game back. Coleman just 16% here. So I think it's, I mean, we were pretty confident that Mostert had passed Coleman on the depth charts entering this game, but this was making him look a little bit more like almost even a workload, workhorse type of running back. So I think at that point, you can very confidently consider Mostert a running back too for the rest of the fantasy playoffs. So that could be a big boost for you. He's actually still available in a lot of leagues, even though he was a prime pickup candidate on the waiver wires last week. So if you can still make waiver moves, definitely consider picking up Mostart. I think he's the most valuable option that, that was probably available in your shallow leagues. Drew Brees here, great day, 29 of 40 for 349 yards and five touchdowns. Also had a rushing touchdown. My major takeaway here is just that Brees home road splits are more important than defensive matchups. Probably not always true, but it definitely was in this case. Since 2016, Brees has averaged 73 more yards, 0.8 more touchdowns, and 5.4 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road. So that, I mean, that that type of five plus point fantasy split is more than any defensive matchup would swing a player at quarterback. So, you know, if you're just looking at that going forward, you're probably willing to start Breeze no matter what for the rest of the season, but definitely going to probably want to start him in week 15 at home against the Colts before he has to go on the road again in your fantasy title games in Tennessee. A tight end, uh, Jared Cook actually had two long touchdown catches uh, for a total of 64 yards and the two scores on his two targets before he suffered a concussion on his second one. And then his backup, Josh Hill, even scored a touchdown on his three targets. So the 49ers had been by far the best defense uh, against tight ends so far this season, number one in DVOA, and I think limiting opponents to just 25 yards of the position per game. So they'll take a little hit at that position with these two, but even with the, the volume of touchdowns here, it didn't actually end up being that many catches. Uh, so I'm not sure I, I totally changed my mind on what I think of the 49ers and, and their opposing defense, uh, opposing offensive matchups, but just something to keep an eye on here. Perhaps not as scary as they once were. And then with Cook suffering the concussion, potentially droppable in shallow formats uh, if you need help at the position this week. 
but potentially also could help you in your fantasy title games in week 16. So make the call based on your roster in the waiver wire. Next up, we have the Panthers at Falcons. Ian Thomas, the tight end here, five catches for 57 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets. That led the team apart from Christian McCaffrey, who I feel like kind of belongs in some category at this point. But Thomas is a guy that I think you can safely plug and play for Greg Olson when Olson misses games. Olsen missed all of last December with a broken foot and obviously missed this game here with a concussion. And Thomas has had 37 targets over those five starts, uh, bridging the two seasons. So I think he's a guy that you can kind of safely consider to be a high-end tight end too if Olsen missed any more time this season. Again, a lot of guys that have concussions miss just the one start, and Olsen may well play this weekend. But we'll, you know, we'll just have to see. Thomas, I think, is a guy that you could plug in. Probably pick him up last minute if, if that is a consideration for you in your shallower formats. Uh, For the Falcons, Calvin Ridley, he's going to miss the rest of the season with an abdominal injury. So that's a real shame. I think going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how fantasy rankers rank Ridley versus Julio Jones in future seasons. Ridley finishes this season with 17 touchdowns on 185 targets over the last two seasons, whereas Julio Jones has just 15 touchdowns on 427 targets over his last three seasons. So, I mean, I think Jones is clearly going to be the number one choice on the team, but Ridley scores so many more touchdowns than Jones at this point, with both of those players being the primary options for the Falcons next year. I think you can maybe talk me into Ridley as being the more attractive fantasy option. In the short term, if you're looking for a guy to replace Ridley, I originally thought it was probably going to be Christian Blake. That was the guy that you could plug and play for Julio Jones a few weeks ago, and that worked out okay. But in this game, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus actually is the one that had the big day. Just one catch, but it was a 93-yard touchdown. I mean, kind of an embarrassing play for the for the Panthers here. That obviously screams regression. You're not going to have 93-yard touchdowns every week. But Zacchaeus actually had 31% of the offensive snaps played, whereas Blake only had 17%. And Blake has a negative 26.9% DVOA on 22 targets this season. So I think the Falcons may be realizing that Blake isn't that effective of a player. He may be getting passed on the depth chart here by Zacchaeus, even though he only had the two targets to speak of this last week. So given the uncertainty I have there, I think you're probably going to leave both of them in your wire. Uh, You can roll with Julio, obviously, but I'm not sure any other wide receiver in that offense is too productive at this point. The other guy that I think is of note here is Russell Gage, a guy that you probably have been relying on in your deeper formats. Since the Muhammad Sanu trade, he's kind of got a Sanu type of role. But Gage had just two catches for 17 yards on four targets here. And of note, he's got, I think, pretty marked splits whether or not Austin Hooper is on the field or not. Hooper was back this week from his injury. And with Hooper on the field, Gage is averaging 1.7 fewer targets, 0.7 fewer catches, and 20.6 fewer yards per game than when Hooper's on the field. So with Hooper, that's just 4.3 targets, 32.7 yards, and zero touchdowns, or uh, 4.3 catches and 6.0 targets. So not a very fantasy appealing line. I think Gage is more of a very deep league option at this point with Hooper back. Hooper didn't do much this week, two catches for 32 yards and six targets, but I think he's back to being a clear top 10 tight end knowing that he is healthy. Okay, next up we have the Dolphins at Jets. Patrick Laird, the running back. 15 carries for 48 yards, not a huge number there, but did break some late runs there to increase that efficiency, but did have four catches for 38 yards on five targets and played 82% of the offensive snaps versus just 18% for Miles Gaskin, the fellow rookie. So Laird has pretty market splits at this point of negative 15.2% rushing DVOA and 39.2% receiving DVOA. But I mean, in fantasy, that's fine. I think you'd rather have the production as a receiver, especially in your PPR formats. And given that he's getting such a huge volume of workload here, I think you can probably go ahead and trust him in your shallow formats. And again, especially in PPR formats, 
Meanwhile, I'm not going to really blame him too much for the lack of efficiency as a runner. The Dolphins have the lowest adjusted line yards in the league, and we saw his predecessor, Kalen Balaj, have really, really bad rushing efficiency too. So I'm not going to say that Laird is a bad runner, but he is pretty clearly a good receiver, and that's what really matters the most for fantasy purposes. And then speaking of receivers, the Dolphins lost both Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson to concussions on Sunday. And so Isaiah Ford and Alan Hearns kind of filled in as their top outside receivers, both with pretty good success. Ford had six catches for 92 yards on nine targets. Hearns five for 68 on eight targets. No other wide receiver besides those two had more than two targets. So if Parker and Wilson missed time, I think these are clearly the top two guys at the position. And they're guys that you could probably rely on in your deeper formats. Uh, Fitzpatrick has really been playing well, and given the fact that the Dolphins are so frequently trailing and frequently in garbage time, needing to throw a lot of passes, I think both of these guys will see a healthy volume if Parker and Wilson miss time. For the Jets, Le'Veon Bell missed this game with the flu, but there's a really funny story about this that came out of the New York Post that Bell was apparently out bowling on Saturday night before the Sunday game that he was missing with the flu. I think it's going to be really interesting to see if the Jets let him back um, and playing again this week or maybe even the rest of the season. So keep your eyes on that news because if Bell does end up getting sit, then I think Bilal Powell is a pretty attractive fantasy option. Substituting for Bell this last week, he had 19 carries for 74 yards and two catches for 14 yards on three targets. So pretty close to a workhorse type of workload. Meanwhile, his backup Ty Montgomery had nine carries for 31 yards and three catches for 30 yards on his own. And with Josh Adams not in the picture, I think even a deeper format, Ty Montgomery might also be an option for you, getting a pretty good amount of workload for a backup running back at this point. At receiver, Robbie Anderson really sort of led the day here for the Jets. Seven catches for 136 yards and a touchdown on 11 targets. No other wide receiver on the team had more than 37 yards. And then Anderson actually over the last three games, very productive, 26 targets, 303 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns. He's kind of got those big splits like we've seen some of these other guys have. Negative 10.6% DVOA prior to Week 12 and 10.9% receiving DVOA since Week 12. So I think at this point you can sort of consider Anderson a a top 30 true talent wide receiver in fantasy. His real problem is that his rest of season schedule is just horrible for wide receivers. That's going to start this Thursday with that Ravens matchup. The Ravens are number three in DVOA against um, the pass. They're number seven DVOA against number one receivers. And assuming he gets shadowed by cornerback Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey is one of the best in the business. Top 10 in coverage success rate this season, top 20 in yards per pass allowed, both according to Sports Info Solutions charting. Really tough there. And then he follows that matchup with Steelers and Bills matchups in week 16 and 17. They're number four and number five in DVOA against the pass. So, I mean, it really doesn't get any harder than this for Anderson. And I would say in your shallower formats, I would leave him on the wire. I think there's some better options for you, even if they're season to day statistics don't indicate that that's the case, but I just don't think Anderson is a guy that you want to start with the matchups the next few weeks. And then to tie in here, Ryan Griffin, he injured his ankle, uh, and right now it's unclear if he's going to play in week 15. You can probably drop him in your shallow formats if you need to. Uh, he's a guy that was a little bit productive. His backup, Daniel Brown, didn't really do much in his absence. One catch for seven yards, probably not a guy that's going to help you even in your deeper formats. Okay, moving on to the Colts at Buccaneers. Uh, Marlon Mack made it back for this game. Didn't really do a ton, 13 carries for 38 yards, but did score a touchdown. I think at this point, he's probably back to being an every week start for you in fantasy. And he relegated both Jordan Wilkins and Jonathan Williams to the waiver wire here. Wilkins had one carry. Williams didn't even play at all. Mack had 41% of the offensive snaps versus just 14% for Wilkins. So, you know, if you need the handcuff, I guess you can hold on to Wilkins, but there's not a lot of games left for that to matter. So I would probably just drop those guys for, for players with more upside. 
at receiver. Uh, T.Y. Hilton still considered week to week, according to Frank Reich in a Tuesday interview. So I think at this point in shallow leagues, you can probably drop him too. And that really leaves Marcus Johnson and Zach Pascal as the top two guys, probably Pascal being the number one. He had five catches for 74 yards on a touchdown on nine targets and has an excellent 13.1% DVOA this season. Johnson had three catches for 105 yards and a touchdown on seven targets and has an even better 21.6% DVOA. So this passing attack really not missing a beat even though it's it's lacking some really impact type of players. So I think both Pascal and Johnson deserve to be owned in your deeper formats and players you can probably start. I'd start both of them ahead of the, the Dolphins wide receivers if push came to shove there. Meanwhile, rookie Par- uh, Paris Campbell returned for this game, three catches for 12 yards on five targets. I could see him getting worked in a little bit more over the rest of the season with the Colts uh, pretty much eliminated from the playoffs, but I don't think he's going to pass either of those top two guys so I don't really think he's a huge threat to their fantasy value. For the Buccaneers, Mike Evans injured his hamstring and seems likely to miss the rest of the season too, so go ahead and drop him in your shallow formats. If you want a direct replacement, Justin Watson on his team had a nice day here with five catches for 59 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. That was the second most on the team behind Chris Godwin. And while he only played 55% of the snaps, while Prashad Perriman played 83%, he was again more productive in terms of raw stats and has been much more efficient this season 13.3% DVOA, although only on 10 targets, but versus negative 14.1% DVOA for Paramount on a more substantial 44 targets. In our deeper league, I would consider taking a flyer on Watson this week. Uh, the, the Buccaneers play the Lions in week 15, and they increase pass plays by 8% and passing touchdowns per attempt by 24%. So it's a really attractive matchup here if you want to take the gamble there on Watson. Next up, we have the Broncos at Texans. Drew Locke, the rookie quarterback, had another nice day here, 22 of 27 for 309 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. He has a 32.6% DVOA through two starts. I don't think you're ready to start him even in your deeper formats in fantasy, but it's good to see, and maybe the Broncos have actually found the quarterback they've been looking for since Peyton Manning retired. Uh, But Locke's good play, I think, does buoy some of his, his skill position players. I mean, Cortland Sutton is the obvious guy there, but tight end Noah Fant has had another nice day, four catches for 113 yards on a a touchdown on four targets. The real risk here is that he only played 49% of the offensive snaps and split time almost evenly with Jeff Hireman. So it's a little bit of a risk here, but Fan has been producing some big plays and has been a kind of a red zone threat here. So I think in your deeper formats, you consider Fant maybe a, a mid-tier tight end too right now for the rest of the fantasy playoffs. Uh, for the Texans, Kiki Cutie has kind of been in the doghouse all season. It's been a real shock to see as his numbers are down relative to his rookie season, despite playing in such an att- attractive fantasy uh, offense. But he kind of burst out of it a little bit here with five catches for 68 yards, one eight targets. Now, I think it was probably a factor that Will Fuller uh, was out for this week with his lingering hamstring injury. But Kenny Stills actually had more snaps, 92% versus 71% for Cutie. So I think this just might have been kind of a... Uh, a three-receiver set kind of move here uh, for for the Texans here. So I think in your deeper formats, you can go ahead and pick Cutie up, see how this next week goes. I wouldn't start him coming off of just one good performance, but if this does go well, then I think maybe in week 16 you consider starting him. And then at tight end, uh, Jordan Akins led the way here with nine targets. Not really a lot of fantasy implications there, but worth noting that he played 64% of the offensive snaps. Darren Fells played 56%. And Jordan Thomas, recently off injured reserve, played just 9%. So at this point, it doesn't really look to me like Jordan Thomas is going to get reintegrated. If you've been relying on Akins and Fells to this point in the fantasy season, they're probably not going to be losing any value to Thomas. And Thomas, even in a deep format, you can let him go if you've been relying on him for waiting for him to come back for the, for this season. 
Next up, we have Chargers at Jaguars. Phillip Rivers burst out of his funk, 16 of 22, so not a ton of volume, but 314 yards and three touchdowns. Had some really big plays here and turned in his first game with a positive DVOA total since week nine, so good to see. I'm still not sure whether I think Rivers is kind of back at this point. I, I still suspect that his his play is declining and it could be the end for his run here for the Chargers, but it's good to see him playing well, especially for skill talent. Austin Eckler really benefited. Eight carries for 101 yards on the ground and four catches for 112 yards and a touchdown through the air on five targets. Uh, Eckler, I'm not sure he's the long-term replacement for Melvin Gordon in terms of like a workhorse type of role. He has a negative 7.9% rushing DVOA this season. This suggests to me he might be better served as a receiver. He has an absurd 56% receiving DVOA this season. So a guy that really should get the ball a lot, uh, get, get targeted a lot as a receiver. But this may be more of a, workhorse, a workload split with Justin Jackson in the future if the team lets Melvin Gordon go. And then at receiver, Mike Williams, two catches for 63 yards and a touchdown on three targets. I was shocked to see that this was his first touchdown of the season. He had 10 last season. I actually think this was pretty much totally a fluke, this down touchdown season, because last year he had 12 end zone targets on 82 total targets, good for a 14.6% end zone target rate. And this year he actually has eight end zone targets on 72 total targets, not that much lower at 11.1%. So he just hasn't actually come down with the touchdowns in those critical situations. I think next year he's a major bounce back candidate for me. He's clearly a super talented player. And hopefully next year he'll have a little bit better health, um, a little bit better luck with the health there too. For the Jaguars, DJ Chark, back to being the number one guy here with uh, Gardner Minshew back starting. Chark had nine catches for 75 yards on 10 targets, which led the team by three. Although he sprained his, his ankle late in this game in his week to week right now. So he may not be available for you in week 15, something to keep an eye on. Next up, we have the Titans at Raiders. Ryan Tannehill continues to just produce excellent fantasy numbers. 21 of 27 in this game for 391 yards and three touchdowns and one interception. He's actually thrown two or more touchdowns in six of his seven starts this season and is up to a 22.6 fantasy points per game average since his first start back in week seven. That's the second highest at the position behind only Lamar Jackson in that stretch. It's just crazy. It's not a ton of volume, but Tannehill has obviously produced a lot of those touchdowns to Boya's numbers, and it's just been generally very efficient. He has a 25.3% DVOA this season. It's among the league leaders. It's actually better than MVP candidate Russell Wilson at 24.7%. So at this point, I don't know what else you really need to see. I mean, I'm happy to rely on Tannehill in the rest of the fantasy playoffs at this point, even for a team that's relying heavily on Derrick Henry. And speaking of... Henry, another great day here, 18 for 103 and two touchdowns, and that comes despite playing just 37 snaps. He actually left this game for a while with an injury that he was able to return from, and I think he's fine, but it's just I can't imagine a running back I'd rather start in December right now than Derrick Henry. And then a receiver, I think you can probably go ahead and start A.J. Brown, the rookie, five catches for 153 yards and two touchdowns on seven targets that led the team by three. It may not seem like a huge total, and his 16 targets over the last three weeks may not seem like a huge total but it accounts for 30.2% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share. So again, it's a situation where the Titans are really more run heavy than a lot of teams, but Brown has clearly emerged as the number one receiver for the team. And I mean, I think he deserves it. He's got a 20.8% receiving DVOA on 61 targets this season. He looks like a real fine in the fantasy, uh, in the NFL draft. So I think he's a player you can probably rely on on the rest of the season. Maybe not as clear a shallow league option as Tannehill, but somebody that I would rely on in shallow leagues, especially if Adam Humphreys continues to miss time with the ankle injury that caused him to miss this last week. Um, And then for the Raiders, Josh Jacobs missed this game with a a fractured shoulder. 
that just the word fractured shoulder makes me think he's going to miss the rest of the season. And John Gruden kind of hinted that that could be a possibility in an interview, but he was considered questionable all the way up into game time. So I'm just really not sure exactly how to think about this. I might hold on to Jacobs a little while longer just to see how that plays out. But if Jacobs does miss time, I think DeAndre Washington has become a pretty safe replacement option for you. He had 14 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown and six catches for 43 yards on seven targets on Sunday, playing a lot more than Jalen Richard and even being a lot more involved in the passing game. Overall, he played 63% of the offensive snaps, which is just 38% for Richard. Meanwhile, the Raiders draw a very positive matchup against the Jaguars in Week 15. The Jags are the number 31 DVOA run defense, and they increased rushing yards per attempt by 11% and rushing touchdowns per attempt by 44%. So two, a really nice matchup here. If Jacobs ends up missing time, I think you can pick up Washington and rely on him as a top 20 option. And then among the pass catchers, I'll just mention again Tyrell Williams, a guy that I've been very down on of late. He had three catches for 35 yards on four targets. He still has just one game with more than three catches since week two. So in shadow leagues, I think you can definitely go ahead and drop him. A lot of your your better considerations are based on some early season results that haven't held up. Next up, the Chiefs at Patriots. Darwin Thompson, I was really optimistic for his chances here with both Daryl Williams and Damian Williams sitting. Didn't really work out for you in fantasy. Four carries for seven yards and four catches for 36 yards on five targets. He actually had a really bad drop early in the second quarter on his first target of the game, although luckily he did kind of stay involved at least a little bit. But he didn't play nearly as much as LaShawn McCoy, who had 11 carries for 39 yards and a catch for four yards. And even Spencer Ware was involved after being signed off the street with five carries and 11 yards and one catch for negative nine yards on two targets. So Thompson just in the end ended up with just 27% of the offensive snaps versus 31% for McCoy and 40% for Ware. Right now, it's unclear whether Damian Williams is going to be able to return in Week 15 from his rib injury, but I just don't think you can start Darwin Thompson at this point, still involved in a pretty hefty timeshare there in Kansas City. And then for the Patriots, Sony Michelle, disappointing effort here. Five carries for eight yards, one catch for one yard. Rex Burkhead was a little bit more involved with seven carries, although producing just 15 yards of his own. Michelle played just 13% of the offensive snaps versus 27% for Burkhead, and frankly, I think it's kind of overdue. For the season, Michelle has a negative 6.8% rushing DVOA. It's pretty poor. I suspect, honestly, that Damian Harris would have been involved by now if it weren't for the hamstring injury that's kind of sidelined him for a while. But, I mean, frankly, if Michelle doesn't have a really good week against the Bengals in Week 15, I think you can probably go ahead and drop him in your shallow formats. That said, though, the Bengals are an incredible matchup. They increase the opponent's run plays by 20%. Their opponents rushing yards per attempt by 12% and rushing touchdowns per attempt by 6%. So he's going to need to have a nice day for me to consider trusting him against the Bills in Week 16. Something to keep an eye on. Next up, we have the Steelers at Cardinals. James Conner, I think, could return in Week 15. So I think if he does, he'll go back to being the top option there and relegate Benny Snell to your benches. Uh, And then Juju Smith-Schuster also seems likely to return in Week 15. So I think that's going to make it a little bit more difficult to trust James Washington and Deontay Johnson. This was a pretty even time split uh, before that injury. And it's just the the passing hasn't been tremendously efficient without Ben Roethlisberger there for the team. Uh, Vance McDonald, I thought, would potentially have a really nice day here against that plus-plus Cardinals matchup. But he had just one catch for three yards on one target and suffered a concussion. So didn't really have the opportunity to thrive there. To, to me, that's not going to be a deterrent to, to rely on David and Joku this next week, taking advantage of that matchup. And that's pretty much 
all the major points there with the Steelers. So next up, we have the Seahawks at Rams, that Sunday night game. Sadly, after his really nice breakout performance, Rashad Penny ended up spraining his ACL and is out for the rest of the season. Although if you're a Chris Carson owner, that's actually great news because he's clearly back to being the top guy, no question about it. And he has the best rushing matchup in fantasy football this next week against the Panthers. The Panthers are the number 32 DVOA run defense, and they increased rushing yards per attempt by 22% and rushing touchdowns per attempt by 151%. So, I mean, honestly, I would probably project Carson for two touchdowns, no joke. I don't think that's just Panther bias. This is just going to be a great week for him. Definitely throw him in your DFS lineups uh, if you have that option. Otherwise, for the Seahawks, DK Metcalf, six catches for 78 yards on six targets, just four for 43 on six targets for Lockett. I was thinking that Metcalf may have actually emerged as the team's number one receiver, but I actually don't think that's fully justified by their relative efficiencies. Metcalf has negative 1.4% DVOA on the season, while Lockett has 26.8%. Although Metcalf does have 38 targets over his last five games, so he's getting a wide receiver one kind of, of workload right now. And then speaking of wide receiver one workloads, Thank goodness Robert Woods is kind of back to that territory. He had seven catches for 98 yards on nine targets on Sunday. He's had at least nine targets in four straight games. So I think you're back to being able to trust him as a wide receiver too. And then Tyler Higby, I'm starting to wonder whether he might actually be a tight end one. He had seven catches for 116 yards on 11 targets this week to lead the team and has 19 targets over the last two weeks. I will say that the last two weeks have been basically the two best matchups you can get in fantasy for a tight end. Two weeks ago, that was the Cardinals, who allow 81 yards per game to the position. That's the most in football. This week, it was the Seahawks, who allow 68 yards per game to the position, which is the fourth most in football. But I think even that doesn't justify the full volume of 19 targets. I think with Gerald Everett missing this game and missing both games with a knee injury and possibly missing more, he probably has just kind of emerged as a, a top 12 type of tight end option. So I think in your deeper, I mean, in your shallow formats, you could actually pick Higby up and potentially rely on him uh, for the rest of your fantasy playoffs, pending Gerald Everett's health, of course. Uh, week 15 is probably a good one to try because he's playing the Cowboys, who allow 54 yards per game in the position. That's the 12th most. Although in week 16, your championship games could be a little bit rougher there against the 49ers, who, entering this last week, were the number one DBA defense against the position. And then finally for the Monday night game, Giants at Eagles. Uh, Darius Slayton, I was a little worried that since he was going to be playing alongside both Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate for the first time, that he might see his work um, slide a little bit, but that wasn't the case. He ended up with five catches, 154 yards, and two touchdowns on eight targets, which led the team. He just adds that deep dimension that really no one else on the roster can provide. So I think he's just going to be safe and, and on the field a lot for the rest of the season. The Giants rolled with a lot of three wide receiver sets on Monday and Slayton played 81% of the offensive snaps, while Shepard played 92% and Tate played 88%. Keep relying on Slayton, uh, even in their shallow formats. For the Eagles, Jordan Howard missed this week. It's possible he'll return in Week 15. And whether or not he does probably determines whether or not you should consider picking up Boston Scott, the five foot, uh, five foot six running back who, kind of out of nowhere, had 10 carries and six catches this week for more than 120 yards. Uh, so big week here. Miles Sanders was still clearly the the number one back here, although he suffered a leg injury in the third quarter and missed a little bit of time before returning, and I think that contributed to Scott's increased workload. But I'm thinking that Scott's good performance here may increase the the team's reliance on him for their future weeks, in particular if Howard misses time. And again, this was the team that relied on Darren Sproles in that kind of Swiss Army knife workload. So I'm wondering if, if Scott could end up being that over the rest of the season too. And deep leagues, I'd probably pick him up just to see how that plays out. And I'll say that especially, too, because the Eagles are dealing with just tons of injuries to their wide receiver position. 
Uh, Alshon Jeffries, the latest, I mean, he's been dealing with stuff all season, but he either injured his foot or maybe re-injured his ankle. Not totally clear on, on Sunday night. Nelson Aguilar was already out of this game because of a knee injury. The team cut Matt Collins a few weeks ago. Deshaun Jackson's already on injured reserve. At this point, they have hardly anyone left to rely on. And so I'm going to predict that in Week 15, probably rookie J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be the number one option for the team. He had just three targets on, on Monday night, but he played 90% of the offensive snaps. So I think he's definitely going to be the guy. In your deeper formats, you can maybe pick him up and, and see if that's an option for you. Okay, that's going to do it for this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. We're available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, so please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already done that. In the meanwhile, come back in two days, and I'll give you my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for Week 15. Thanks, and I will talk to you then.